Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Welcome back to the Unplayable Podcast, and how good was that? Australia headed into the final day in Sydney, needing 10 wickets to win, but fell short by one. In the latest instalment of classic SCG finishes, Steve Smith took the ninth wicket of the innings with less than three overs remaining. Final ball to Smith over to Leach. It's taken! Steve Smith breaks through! Australia one wicket away! James Anderson and Stuart Broad successfully saw out the last five balls of the match to secure the draw for the visitors. Earlier, it had taken some inspired bowling from Nathan Lyon, Scott Boland and Pat Cummins to keep Australia in the hunt, but the 10th wicket eluded them. Louis Cameron spoke to Ricky Ponting after the dramatic finish in Sydney, proudly brought to you by HCL, the official digital technology partner of Cricket Australia. I'm here with Ricky Ponting after day five of the SCG test where England have held on by a wicket. Ricky, I'll cut straight to the chase. Were Australia a little bit sloppy today? Um... Oh, look, maybe a little, yeah. They, they've created a few chances, didn't they? You know, Marcus Harris's chance, maybe even the Alex Carey run-out chance of, of um, Johnny Bairstow early on. Um, Carey's catch down low. Um, I mean, to be fair, they probably have been a little bit sloppy or sloppier in the field this test than they have been um, right through the series. Their, their fielding and their out cricket right through the series has been um, pretty exemplary, really. And... Um, and you know, there's been some tough ones put down this game, but there's been a couple of um, you know pretty straightforward ones as well. Of obviously, obviously, which Kerry was a couple of those, and Marcus Harris's one today off Ben Stokes at short leg is a you know reactionary catch that probably either goes in or or, or, or bounces straight back out again. But um, yeah, I, I'll be disappointed that they haven't got across the line, and, and they'll probably look back and say that they created enough chances to win, but didn't quite get there today. And maybe could have given themselves a little bit more time to do it. When we spoke yesterday that, you know, you, you said, I can't remember exact words, but, you know, questions might be asked about that declaration. I mean, are you asking those questions now? Oh, look, I, yeah, I won't be asking him, but I think Pat's <laughs> going to have to answer, Pat's going to have to answer them. Unfortunately, that's just the, that's the lie of the land. When you're, when you're the captain and, um, and you probably go defy what history has sort of said at venues and, and different things. And, um, yeah, so I mean, I, I'm never really one for questioning too much through the course of a when they're setting a total, but because it's all dependent on what happens with the end result. And you know, so I, even today through commentary didn't say anything. I was waiting for the game to to finish, but you know, when the, the game does finish, and you know, they're over whatever were they another hundred runs short of what they were chasing, and and even a lot of the runs they got towards the end were, were freebies that um, you know because the fielders were all in. Um, yeah, unfortunately, I'm pretty sure that's one of the first questions Pat will have to answer at the at the press conference tonight is about maybe uh, was it too long and the reasons why they decided to bat as long as they did. So we'll wait and see what answers he comes up with. Well, I imagine one of the other questions will be around whether last summer has any influence on him. I know Pat wasn't the captain, but he, he was part of those teams that um, couldn't bowl India out at the SCG and then... Uh, and then India obviously won that game at the Gabba. Do you, do you think that? I mean, a lot of those guys, all those guys, are still in the dressing room and there's you know similar bowling attack. Is that a bit of an issue mentally potentially for the Aussie? Um, yeah, we look. 
I think if they had ghosts of India last year, certainly in Sydney anyway, then that would have pushed them in the direction of declaring a lot earlier yesterday afternoon because um, I think last year they, they left 131 overs in the game to try and bowl India out. And I think India were two for 98 going into the last day and Australia only took three more wickets for the whole day. So if they were, if they were spooked by that, then you would have thought there would have been more urgency yesterday to set the game up and give themselves even more time. So they, they obviously weren't, um, you know, different batting lineups as well. They, they probably identified England's lineup as being more fragile than India's batting last year. You know, England, England in the series hadn't got past 300 and didn't again today, which is probably another reason why they probably didn't need, potentially need as many runs as what they, what they set them. Um, yeah, so these are all the questions and all the things that they'll be they'll be talking about, they'll be thinking about, and hopefully they'll be learning from going forward. What do you make of Pat Cummins' captaincy throughout this? Oh, I mean, throughout the whole summer, really. But um, you know, there are a couple of couple of good moments. I was just, you know, thinking about the the bat pad to Boland and um, even the first innings, the the leg slip he had to Milan. Um, some good field placements. Are you kind of liking what you're seeing from that point of view? Yeah, I mean, everything's been pretty smooth sailing, hasn't it, for the Australians? They haven't been put under much pressure for, for Pat to be put under any pressure whatsoever. I mean, it's the the England batters, with the exception of Bairstow and Stokes the other afternoon, have you know been sitting ducks, really. They've, they haven't tried to put any pressure back on the Australian bowlers and therefore setting fields and bowling changes, and that becomes really easy. And, you know, Australia have dominated pretty much every test from the first ball of, of each day's play. So, no, look, it... I've got nothing negative to say about Pat and his captaincy um, whatsoever. I mean, there's probably one of the other questions you might want to answer from this afternoon is when Nathan Lyon come back on to bowl at the touch leech and, and broad right near the end there with Cameron Green, only bowled 10 overs in the day, uh, sorry, 10 overs in the innings. Um, I, I thought he potentially would, might've been more of a threat than Nathan Lyon at, at that stage. And, and that was before the umpires were talking about the bad light as well, because there's obviously a fast bowler bowling from the other end. So, you know, little things like that that, um, you know, people will probably want to talk about. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's Pat's team and they're making the decisions out in the field and you live and you die by the sword. So, um, yeah, I, I just I just felt a little sorry for them. I mean, I was happy to see England stand up and fight the way that they did and even, you know, a mini fairy tale in the careers of Broad and Annis and maybe to get through something like that, probably the last time I'll see them at the SCG. And But it's just a game that Australia will probably look back on understanding that they've dominated for large periods of the game, but just not being quite good enough to put the final nail in the coffin. Well, another guy who did well who's at the other end of his career is, is Zach Crawley, who um, I think he made 77 of the first 90 or so runs at the start. I mean, is that the kind of performance that, you know, we talk about this game being a potentially a dead rubber, but, you know, he had a lot on the line today, didn't he? Yeah, look, I, I actually like the way that he started in Melbourne as mm. well. He mm. got 12 in the first innings in Melbourne, but he just looked like he was, he was happy to play his game and he was happy to try and take the bowling on a little bit. Um, you know, I think he got a duck in the second innings, did he maybe in Melbourne and then missed out in the first innings here. But um, no, he, I think he's given himself one innings like that for a struggling English team that are devoid of what looks to be a lot of batting talent. Um, he probably locked himself in for another couple of years of test cricket on the back of one innings because he, he, did, he, showed, the, he showed the medal. He showed the fight. He showed the intent. Um, he was happy to try and put a, put a bit of pressure back on Cummins and Stark. You know, if they, if they overpitched, it got whacked back down the ground. And if they were a fraction short, he was good enough to get on the on the length early and, and pull them through mid-wicket. So, yeah, it's – yeah, and look, he'll have some technical things he's got to work through. I mean, the fact that he made 267 in one test against 
Pakistan, then I think it's taken him another 10 or 12 innings to get his next 267 runs in Test cricket. It says that he's had his struggles, but no, I, I like what I saw. And, and more important, I like the attitude. If you put him next to Hamid, the attitude that Hamid showed and the attitude that Crawley showed, then I know which way I'm going as far as picking a, a future England player. Talk to me about the technical things because I heard Simon Kadich on Channel 7 talking a little bit about the bottom hand and potentially that was um, doing a little bit too much. What did you kind of see from that point of view in terms of things he could potentially improve on? Uh, yeah, look, I think a lot of the, the technique that he's probably come up with it was about combating the bowling that he was facing today. We saw him batting with his back foot sort of on off stump and sometimes out off stump when he's, when he's shaping up against Boland and Cummins trying to take his LBW out of play. What that does, you know, if you, if you're starting outside off stump and you've got a slightly open stance, then it, your, your hips and your shoulders tend to be a little bit open. So hitting the ball through mid off and back straight back down the ground becomes your biggest challenge. And you, you would have seen with him today, whenever they got sort of onto a fourth stump or even a, an off stump line, he was hitting those balls through mid wicket. So that's going to be his natural, scoring pattern it's going to be because he's open shouldered and open hipped hitting the ball to the leg side is going to be easier for him the other thing I liked though the fact that he was able to hit the, the ball off the back foot well through the offside so as long as you know what your limitations are know what you can and can't do you know if if that's the way that he's going to bat and that's what that's the way his stance has got to be he's just got to understand that the off drive is going to be a really hard shot for him to play so he's got to wait for bowlers to get straight hit them through mid wicket or when they err on length, he stands up tall on the back foot and hits them through the offside. And that's what understanding your game. You know, we talk about it all the, all the time, don't we? Understanding your game and where you're going to score your runs and how bowlers are going to try and get you out. You only learn that by experience and, and, and doing it against the best bowlers. But he did it against some, he did it against some really good bowlers today and, and looked every bit a, a, a top-order test match player. And just final one on him, just going back to what you said about, um, I guess, this being important for his career. Think back to Alistair Cook in 06, 07, when I think he made some runs in one of those last two games where um, the series had been lost and then came back in 10, 11 and, and did really, really well. Is that the kind of thing that, that Crawley could look at? Yeah, I mean, the difference with Alistair Cook probably, that's the Alistair Cook probably had 100, 100 tests under his belt by you know, 06, 07 as well, or somewhere near that, 70 or 80 test matches. Um, and obviously was a world-class player then uh, that was going through a lean trot. It's different with, with Crawley. He's just starting out his career and finding his feet. But yeah, I mean, you, you try and pick every little last bit of um, confidence and positive vibes that you can find from any performance that you have. And, you know, that it's always nice to have success at a certain venue as well. So if he does make it back to Australia, he'll have some good feelings about going out at the bat at the SCG. And he's still got one more, one more test to go yet where, you know, in Hobart, we're not, we're not really sure we're going to get there conditions-wise um, with the wicket and how the pink ball might react down there. But at least he knows if, if he sticks to his game that he's got a game that can survive against some of the best fast bowlers in the world. Thinking about Scott Boland now, it, I mean, he when they brought him in, they said that he was a MCG and then SCG kind of flatter wicket specialist. I don't know if it's completely been like that. But, I mean, has he kind of showed that he's, he's maybe a, a touch above even what they thought? Yeah, maybe. I mean, the, the thing about, I'm not sure if there's a bowler in the world that's a flat wicket specialist. To give any bowler green, grassy wicket, um, they're going to be better on that than they're going to be on a flat pitch. It's just the fact that he's played a fair bit on flat wickets at the at the MCG and found a way. But in his wildest dreams, he probably couldn't have dreamt up two better pitches to start his test career on, really. I mean, the, what the MCG gave him as far as sideways movement's concerned and then what this wicket in Sydney's given him with uneven bounce and, and a little bit of sideways movement. I mean, it's just been 
Uh, he's been the perfectly suited bowler for the, con- the conditions that he's played the f- his first two test matches in. Um, and we had a bit of a comparison today with Stuart Clark when he made his debut in, in Cape Town. And I think he got nine wickets in the test match on a, on a grass, grassy pitch that bowlers like that become unplayable on. So, and even with Saar, like Saar was the same. He played most of his cricket on a flat wicket at the SCG. But when you dish them up, when you dish seam bowlers, and that's what bowling is, is a seamer. And that's what mm. Stuart Clark was. When you dish them up conditions that um, suit them that much, then, you know, it's, yeah, it, it, all the all the stars have just aligned perfectly for, for Scotty Boland, especially after, you know, Joy and and Nessa, they would have bowled well in those conditions as well. I've got no doubt about it. You think about when mm. Nessa plays in Brisbane on the Gabba, it was, would have, the, the MCG wicket was quite similar to a Gabba pitch, but... Scotty's got his opportunity and made the most of it. And that's what I think we're all so happy about with this Australian team this summer so far when opportunity's been there. Um, the players have been good enough to seize their chance and make the most of it. Just final one around that and kind of thinking about Mitchell Stark as well now who, who you know, maybe maybe four tests is um, kind of creeping up on him and, and maybe taking its toll on his body. Do you think, you know, they might look at him and, and with Boland as well, do you think that... Um, you know, maybe the pecking order might have changed a bit and he's he's gone up a few rungs. Yeah, look, I think they, you know, I did a selection piece on, at lunchtime today um, talking about what I think might happen for Hobart. And the only query I had really, I had Kawaja coming in, um, you know, irrepressible um, in my mind now. He's, he looks a better, a more complete test batsman than Harris. So I had him coming in to open the batting down there and head coming back in at five. And the only other question mark I had was, a Stark slash Richardson um, changeover for Hobart. The fact that Stark is the only fast bowler, well, Green's played all five, but hasn't had the workload of, of, of Stark. Sorry, all four will play all five. Hasn't had the workload of Stark. And the only positive I felt there was that obviously with a pink ball game and knowing Stark's record in pink ball test matches, but that, that might be the thing that gets him across the line. Um, you know, he, he looked probably looked a little bit flat late this afternoon, but they've got another they've got another four or five days now to get up and get ready. You wouldn't think he'd do much bowling between now and Hobart. Um, even the fact that it's probably potentially a bit cooler down there might mightn't be as, as physically um, demanding on him either. Um, so that's the only thing that I would think of, you know, you know, and and how fit is Jai? Is Jai actually hundred percent again after having that lower limb injury in in Adelaide? So. Um, yeah, but I mean, Boland's going. Boland's going to get them, and the, the the selectors asking a lot of questions of themselves. You know, what is the pecking order now? Is Boland the head of Richardson? Um, yeah, that, and that's a question I can't answer. But you know, he, he hasn't done much wrong. But it's I a mean, question I want you to answer. <laughs> yeah, well, it's so hard to answer the question because I think mm. if Jai played in if Jai played in Melbourne and Sydney, I think potentially would have had a similar sort of impact. So it's mm. it's hard to know. Um, but I don't know if Boland's got better in two games. I think Boland's just done what Boland can do. Um, and he's ended up doing it exceptionally well. So the pecking order before the Melbourne test would have had Richardson ahead of, ahead of Boland on exposed skill level, I guess, over a few years of Sheffield Shield cricket. So, you know, probably that, probably that shouldn't change. But, um, and if you look, and if you ask me, I probably think Richardson is probably a more skillful bowler than in, when you think about all conditions, um, you know, not and, and we're only judging Boland on what we've seen in Melbourne and Sydney, obviously. And, and as I said, it's been outstanding. But um, Jai, to me, we don't know his ceiling yet, I don't think. We don't know the levels that he can get to. Um, and you can say the same thing about Boland. But 
I guess, look, I'll get off the fence a little bit. I, I, I feel that, I actually feel that, that Jai is a, a potentially a better and more skillful bowler than, than, than Scott Boland. But people will probably look at me and say, how can you say that on the fact, on what we've just seen from, from Boland in these two tests? But I think he's had a lot in his favour. Um, opposition that he's bowled to and conditions that he's had to bowl in. Um, yep. Yep. No, well answered. Very thorough. Appreciate your time as always, Ricky. Good on you, mate. Thank you. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.